I want to thank all the labor unions here in Dane County that help keep SlyOffice.com up and going so you keep up to date. Whether it be the Madison Firefighters, Local 311, or the Madison Teamsters, Local 695, or our friends at Madison Teachers Incorporated. These are some of the most active local unions who organize, 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 and constantly stand up for workers. Thank you from SlyOffice.com. When you're looking for a new computer or need help with one you already own, call 231-8000 and Madison Computer Works will get things up and running for you. Madison Computer Works, computers that work for you. Welcome to another podcast at SlyOffice.com, brought to you by... Our friends at the Madison area, Teamsters Local 695, also the Operating Engineers Local 139. Joining us now, John Nichols from the Capital Times and The Nation. Uh, you know, we have to start out talking about Aaron Rodgers, John. Yeah. Because this is a political issue. Saw him on Saturday Night Live. Yes. Uh, Pete Davidson did a nice job. Uh, Good. <laughs> I love the woman that does the Judge Janine character. That's quick thing before we go into the deeper political issue of Aaron Rodgers. Um, when Pete Davidson does a good impression of you, you're in trouble. <laughs> uh, well, Terry Bradshaw. Yeah. I don't think any. he lives in Oklahoma. I don't think anyone would put him in the Sololinsky category, okay? So when Aaron Rodgers is talking about a woke mob coming after him, Woke and Terry Bradshaw, I don't think have ever been put in the same sentence. No, I think Terry Bradshaw's actually been boomed. Not hasn't done it, but has been, you know, like speculated about as a potential Republican candidate. Right. Okay. So here's what he's. So here's what he said uh, Sunday morning about Aaron Rodgers. I'd give Aaron Rodgers some advice. It would have been nice if he'd have just come to the Naval Academy and learned how to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Because that's what you did, Aaron. You lied to everyone. I understand immunized. What you were doing was taking stuff that would keep you from getting COVID-19. You got COVID-19. Ivermectin is a cattle dewormer. Sorry, folks. That's what it is. We are a divided nation politically. We're a divided nation on the COVID-19, whether or not to take the vaccine. And unfortunately, we've got players that pretty much think only about themselves. And I'm extremely disappointed in the actions of Aaron Rodgers. And he isn't the only one. Jimmy Johnson, former coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Somebody that I would also not put in the uh, the category of college professor from University of Wisconsin, right? So, so took him, is, just, took guys, him a, just took him apart. Would not form a woke mob. No. 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 So, um, Prevea Health in Green Bay has now dumped... Aaron Rodgers is their is their spokesperson. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is a really kind of hard person to peg. He doesn't really he doesn't really fit in the political spectrum. Uh, I, I thought he was a bright man, but apparently he isn't. Don't you think he's like a hippie? Uh, yeah, I think maybe there's a little California hippie in there. Yeah, I mean that's that's sort of my theory. It's like, and maybe I'm wrong, and I'm willing to be wrong about this, but but that. Um, yeah, you've got your anti-vaxxers, right? And you got your people who are, you know, total Trump, blah blah blah, the, you know, lost in the in the haze. I'm thinking, of course, of Ron Johnson. And but 
but with Aaron Rodgers, it seems like it's more like, oh, I'm taking homeopathic stuff and things like that. And, and that he's just sort of like this, you know, throwback guy, you know, like, like some of the, you know, the people who, who are the traditional, some of the traditional anti-vaxxers who are not right-wingers. Robert F. Kennedy, right? Yeah, exactly. Right? right? I kind of think of him a little more in that category. It's no defense, by the way. That is zero defense. It's just, you know, if we're going to analyze it, I think coming from a slightly different point of beginning. I, I will never understand this anti-vax stuff when it comes to this oh. situation. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. And, and then the notion that somehow you're going to be arrogant enough to put yourself in a locker room. You know, oh. these people are in tight quarters. They shower together. And on a field where you're going to actually be physically, you know, with like banging into each other, right? I mean, outside the locker room, it gets there's a little bit of action there as well. And here's the thing: athletes are more likely to spread COVID because their lungs are in such incredible shape. They ex they exhale more and they inhale more. They move more air because yeah. they're hard. so. This is one of the studies that's come out of why locker rooms have even. With some vaccinated teams, uh, COVID is likely to spread. And, of course, the difference is you don't end up in the hospital if you've been vaccinated. So hopefully Aaron Rodgers didn't send anybody to the hospital. Well, I mean, yeah, hopefully not. Uh, he certainly sent his, sent his career into a little bit of a spiral. Uh, and and the, the thing about it is, is, again, and I think Bradshaw kind of got to the heart of the matter, it wasn't, you know, if he was some sort of, Committed anti-vaxxer, that'd be a bad thing, and and it would be dealt with appropriately. But it was the dishonesty of it. You know what I mean? This this like sending these weird mixed signals using. I, I mean, because you you said a moment ago that he's a smart guy. Actually, yeah, I think, but he was using his intelligence to deceive people. It kind of looked like a Clinton deposition. <laughs> yes. But, well, <laughs> let's, let's be fair to to Rogers. It's not quite that bad. <laughs> and, then, right. and then, of course, the worst thing was he made it look like he'd been responsible and his teammates that weren't vaccinated were irresponsible. He act like, acted like he was a, he was above them. Uh, you know, if that you listen to that interview, it's terrible. Of, yeah, this season he's been very much in that mode. Uh, yeah, it was terrible. So, it's, it, so you got this combination. First off, he's wrong, right? He's on the wrong side of a of a medical discussion that he should have been on the other side of. Number two, he was dishonest about it. And number three, he was arrogant about it. I mean, it, again, I think Rogers has generally been identified as more of a mainstream, maybe even some people would think somewhat more liberal uh, professional football player than most. Uh, but, but if you put together being wrong, dishonest, and arrogant, I mean, that really puts you, you know, that's getting you pretty close to Ron Johnson territory. Yeah. That's not a good category to be in. No. All right. So this is from CNN yesterday morning. Dana Bash filling in for Jake Tapper. Uh, well, you just have have to hear the question. And then he, she's interviewing Mark Warner. And Mark Warner didn't say anything controversial here. This isn't really about Mark Warner. But she posed this question to him. Prepared to vote for. I just want to take it up to sort of 10,000 feet and, and ask you about something that your fellow Virginia Democrat, Abigail Spanberger, had to say. She said, 
that President Biden and his agenda about this, she said nobody elected him to be FDR. They elected him to be normal and stop the chaos. So are you misreading what Americans wanted out of this president, out of the Democratic caucus, that um, Democratic Congress that is now in control? I think what the, what the American people wanted was to do rational, pragmatic things. That's what I tried to do when I got elected governor 20 years ago, when Virginia was a very red state. I think the initial plan against COVID in March was what the, the economy needed and Americans wanted. I think the infrastructure investments were long overdue. But I do think coming out of COVID, when virtually everybody's life has been dramatically changed, thinking about and putting forward proposals about childcare, about preschool to get folks back into the workplace, mm -hmm. to recognize that we've been talking about bringing down the cost of prescription drugs for 30 years, and we're finally going to do it, and recognizing we've got to grapple with climate change. I actually think that is what the American public hired Joe Biden to do. All right. That's actually a pretty good answer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no one's no one's ever going to confuse him with Mario Cuomo. Or excited or, or you know like even interesting. That said, he hey, listen, he led us out of the wilderness in uh, Virginia. So, uh so Spanbauer's remarks, nobody elected you to be FDR. Well, you know, I thought the lesson learned from 2009 was that Democrats didn't do enough to help people during a, a great recession and that we didn't, we didn't move the needle in people's lives. I thought that was the whole point to taking the presidency back. Well, um, first off, let's get to the actual precise reality. They did elect him to be FDR. He, in fact, went to Warm Springs the week before the election and gave a speech specifically designed to associate himself with FDR. We don't have time, slide for me to read all the references from Joe Biden during the final stages of the 2020 campaign to FDR. There were, it was extensive, and it was communicated as a message. We've just come through, or we're in the midst of, I should say, this COVID pandemic is an incredibly challenging physical and economic reality. Uh, comparisons were frequently made to the Great Depression. And Biden went right with that, embraced it, pushed it forward. Uh, yes, he was elected to be FDR. And he confirmed that when he came into the White House on January 20th and rearranged the, the pictures on the wall of the office to put FDR's picture at the top in the in the prominent spot uh so she's just wrong well maybe she's maybe she's projecting what she thinks her constituents voted for and of course she represents the suburbs of yeah. richmond um but she's, she's wrong on the well you know, let, let me parse this out though but here's what i'm really concerned about yep. maybe there is part of the new democratic coalition that are democrats by default because they dislike trump that don't like fdr and, and are those the people that Democrats lost last Tuesday? In other words, do we have a rather disjointed coalition? Um, look, it, it's a bigger coalition than uh, what was, right? Because you built it out. Uh, the, you know, when you're creating this anti-Trump coalition, if you understand it as such, back in 2020, uh, yeah, you, you invited a lot of folks in who didn't like Trump, but who mainly, who probably weren't, 
what you would consider, you know, kind of core old school or even contemporary Democrat. And that happened a lot in the suburbs. There's no question of that. Uh, it was it's one of the reasons why Joe Biden got the biggest vote ever for president of the United States, why he beat Donald Trump by more than seven million votes. Why you know, you run down the list of realities, why he flipped Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania. Uh, that was there you did build things out. However, um, if you if you understand that, then you have to go to your next question. Who are you going to turn out in a midterm election? How are you going to hold power? And I'm not trying to jump way ahead here on the discussion. I'm just saying, you know, that if you just think of politics, right, in a presidential election, yeah, you build your coalition out in a big way, right? You, you go for that as big a win as you can get. Um, then when you go into, as you go forward, you govern ideally in a way that make sure that your base, which are people more, that you're going to desperately need in the midterm election, are going to turn out. And so, uh, yeah, you're going to lose. You will lose some of those folks who, who come in excited uh, to back you know, a new president, something like that. That's, that I understand. The question is, do you do things that not only lose some of those swing voters, but also lose the enthusiasm on the part of your base? And that's what Spanbauer doesn't understand. If if she runs into trouble in her reelect in 2022, right, it isn't going to be uh, because swing voters swung against her. That there there won't be enough of that. Now maybe in her specific district it could be a factor, but it's the bigger thing that I think could be a problem for her and for a lot of these other you know so-called centrists is that base voters just aren't excited enough to come out. I've mentioned this to you a number of times for the the human infrastructure bill. I just don't think that the president used the bully pulpit in a way, even though I know what he campaigned on, and I know why they're doing this stuff. Uh, Even Manchin agrees that some of the things that need to be done are are necessary. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's laid the predicate down to people. This is why we have to do this to go forward. Now, President Obama tried to make the case we need to fix health care to move forward and fix the structural structural situation for Americans, you know, that, that are dying from lack of health care. He never did it effectively, and I kind of feel like I'm watching the same movie again. Yeah, well, this is, look, I, I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot, and it, it goes to a core reality, and it's the one that, that I think Democrats are... There's, some of them are waking up to it, but they're they're kind of missing this core concept. This is not a variable, you know. This is not something that might go one way, might go the other. This is a pretty locked in, baked in reality. Democratic president gets elected by a reasonably comfortable margin, uh, then governs cautiously, maybe even some would say responsibly, whatever. But they they pull their punches. They don't govern in a big bold way, and and in the first midterm. They lose their governing majority, and they are never able to govern from there on out. And you say, well, that, that's, that's a bizarre scenario. How could that possibly be? Well, look at Barack Obama, elected with an overwhelming majority, with a overwhelming advantages in the House and Senate. Uh, a lot of people talk about the, uh, you know, the, the health care bill which was less than I would have wanted and pulled some punches. But I don't think that was the problem. I think it was the response to the Great Recession. You know, you had uh, incredibly high unemployment. 
you had a lot of instability. People who had lost a lot of their retirement savings, young people who were looking at a, a future with you know more limited options, and the response of the U.S. government was cautious. It was you know they he had a recovery plan, but it wasn't as ambitious even as Obama had wanted. It was you know cut back by moderates and Republicans and blah blah blah, and um, and I think it really it did him a lot of harm. And it, Obama's presidency never really recovered. I mean he, um, he did not have a Congress he could work from after 2000. Or after 2011, and then after the 2014 midterms, he lost the Senate. He couldn't even get hearings for a, a hearing for a Supreme Court nominee, and so that's really disempowering. And then you go back to Clinton. You look at what happened with Clinton. Uh, you know, again, went way corporate with Wall Street on NAFTA and, and CAT. Well, that was that was a clear self-inflicted wound, and it wasn't just his fault. It was the people he bought off. Uh, he, yeah. You know, you know here, here's, but there's some other variables here that are affecting people's lives that, frankly, the president doesn't have any control over. Gasoline prices, you know, I understand the Trump voters are gleeful about gas prices going up, but frankly, Joe Biden doesn't have any control over gas prices. No. Joe Biden, Jimmy Carter did. Right. But there are swing voters that are still willing to blame him for it. And here's the, the, here's the worst part of what I saw last Tuesday. The Republicans paid absolutely no price for January 6th. None. In fact, quite the opposite. They were... Uh, like a number, number of people who were either there or were cheering it on were elected, in, uh, especially down in Virginia in some of the legislative races. We'll take a break. John Nichols from the Capital Times with us at SliceOffice.com. Similar to a well-tuned automobile, a guitar requires the same level of attention to perform at its very best. No matter how expensive your guitar may be, we will treat you and your instrument with the utmost respect. Call 920-723-1733 or visit jeffsguitar.com. Jeff's Guitar Clinic in Ford Atkinson, we love guitars. The attorneys at Jingris, Thompson & Walks have had the honor of receiving numerous awards for their work both in and outside the courtroom. But just as important as receiving accolades for being skilled attorneys, it's equally important to give back to the community in which they live and work. If you want a personal attorney that can help you in so many different areas, they've got them. They're in Eau Claire, Madison, Milwaukee, and Waukesha. They're easy to reach. GTWlawyers.com. That's GTWlawyers.com. We're back at SliceOffice.com, brought to you by our friends at Madison Computer Works and also Jeff's Guitar Clinic. Joining us again, John Nichols from the Capital Times and The Nation. All right, uh, so James Carville mixed things up. Uh, here he is on, I think, Brian Williams' show the other night. No, no, this is from CNN. What's wrong with just stupid wokeness? I mean, just defund the police, lunacy, just take Abraham Lincoln's name off of schools. I mean, that, people see that, and it, 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 it's, it's just really a, have a suppressive effect all across the country. The Democrats, some of these people need to go to a woke detox center or something. All right. Well, there you go. Your thoughts. Aaron Rodgers and, and Jim Carville, right? Everybody's, everybody's against woke. Oh, I disagree with you. Well, yeah, but still, it is the reality, right? It's, it's, the, it's the word of the I, I, I'm going to tell you something. I was at a funeral over the weekend, 
very re- at a very responsible liberal Lutheran church where everybody was wearing a mask. These were all Madison Memorial alumni. Should have heard the conversation about the naming of that high school that was going on with this group of people. These were not right-wingers. They are not happy. And, and guess what party pays a price for that? No, I, I understand what you're saying. But again, I'll go back to the thing of, you know, like everybody, this, this is not particularly deep analysis when somebody's yelling woke, right? You know, and, and just as with Aaron Rodgers and with Jim Carbo. And here's the, the problem with Carbo, right? Uh, Carville was all over that Virginia race. He wrote uh, fundraising appeal after fundraising appeal after fundraising appeal for uh, Terry McAuliffe. He talked about how, how active he was in doing that, right? Um, now, up in New Jersey, uh, the governor of New Jersey, Bill Murphy, ran uh, in a tough year, and we have to accept it's an overall tough year for Democrats, no question of that. Phil Murphy ran a very focused campaign on reaching out for a multiracial, multiethnic vote, uh, talking about the things he had accomplished in criminal justice reform, on the environment, all sorts of, I guess, supposedly woke issues. And one of his closing rallies, he brought Bernie Sanders in, not Jim Carville. He brought Bernie Sanders in to rally young voters and, you know, get the turnout up. Uh, Murphy won. Well, here's t- the interesting thing about Murphy. At the end of the day, because our media doesn't cover politics, it covers gossip. Uh, at the end of the day, Murphy will turn out to have won with a higher percentage, wider margin, than Yonkin in Virginia. Now, that doesn't make it a great night for Murphy. No landslide, no, nothing like that. But with all due respect, if I'm going to look for counsel on how to respond to things, I'm going to look at Phil Murphy's campaign, well, not, the one, not the one that Jim Carville was cheering on. Well, Phil, Phil Murphy's a much better candidate than Terry McAuliffe. Oh. Terry McAuliffe is a terrible candidate. That said, you know, left and right. Bernie and AOC went to help India Walton, the Democratic nominee for mayor in Buffalo, and they were unable to move the needle there. In, in Seattle, uh, they elected a Republican city attorney. And then, of course, in Minneapolis, you had the, the vote against the dismantling of the police. So, so I, I do think I do. going on the map then, okay? Uh, first off, in, in Minneapolis, and, and I'm not. You know, look, I'm not entirely disagreeing with everything you're saying, but let's let's be clear. Um, in in Minneapolis, while they didn't vote to change the police to a public safety department, they did elect a, a mayor and a city council who are very into dedicated to changing the police department. Maybe not as much as some people want, but it, it was hardly a uh, a right wing result there. And in Boston. But there were people that ran to the left of the mayor and criticized him and for lost. being too pro-police, yeah. right, that Absolutely. lost, right. Absolutely. Right. right. Let me point out a couple other things, though. In Boston, in the mayoral race, Michelle Wu, first woman, first person of color, ran on reforming the police, ran on Green New Deal and all sorts of, I guess, supposedly woke issues, wins by a landslide in a very transformational election for a, an American city that has often been considered a bellwether on politics especially on Democratic politics. Down in Austin, Texas, they tried to increase uh, the number of police officers down there and shift spending spending over to the police. Uh, Community organized uh, beat that 68-32 landslide against uh, increasing the number of police. And so what I will tell you is that if you look across the country seriously at what happened on last Tuesday, you're going to find 
a mix of results. And if you want to analyze them seriously, what you're going to go in there and say, yeah, are Democrats going to change some of their messaging? Yep. Think they will. Well, I don't think Democrats ever even really used defund the police as their messaging. I, I, th I think some community activists started that, but it became kind of a meme during the whole George Floyd situation. Uh, I do think crime is a significant issue, and I think liberals sometimes kind of yeah. ignore crime. <laughs> I don't want to put it any other way, uh, but they do. They, they kind of like to look the other way because it's not really something easily addressed. God knows what to do in Chicago. But I do think people are frightened about crime. And I think that that's, that is, that's a significant message that comes through, and it is how do you deal with crime? And Democrats, I think there's two issues out of this election that Democrats have to, to uh, take seriously, in a more serious way, and think about how they talk about it. Uh, one is crime issues, and how, how do you talk about them, and how do you, you really communicate a vision going forward that, that does keep people safe, recognizes there's a lot of models for how to keep people safe. But the other is education. And um, Democrats have, have historically had a uh, we're for public education, vote for us, and, and ended the debate there. Um, I think that out of this election they're going to have to go deeper and speak in, in you know, much more nuanced and thoughtful ways about how to, how to respond to parents' concerns about education. But it doesn't mean that you abandon progressive ideas, right? It doesn't mean that you go over and, you know, suddenly are, like, trying to be a kinder, gentler version of the Republicans. And I'll give you a good example of this from back in a time, something that you will remember. Back in the uh, mid-1990s, when Democrats were having some trouble, uh, the Democrats were in charge of the state legislature. And... The speaker of the Wisconsin Democratic Legislature is, at that time proposed bringing the death penalty back to Wisconsin, right? Because he wanted to be tough on crime. Oh, was that Wally Kanicki? Yeah, yeah. Oh, the... Yeah, he wanted to be tough on crime. He wasn't right? being a very good Catholic boy there. No, but he was also being dumb. Yeah, that was because... dumb. So he proposes this. And what happened? It didn't help the Democrats at all. It actually fed into the Republican argument. No, no, no. Well, I, I agree. That's an idiotic thing to do. Yeah. Uh, but if a city needs more police, I am not reflexively against that. You know, there are people in Dane County that are reflexively against building a modern, humane facility for the jail uh, just because it has the word jail on it. I, I find that problematic. Well, and, and I think this is what I'm saying is Democrats are going to look at these results are going to look at a lot of the, a lot of what's happened over the last couple of years, and you're going to see you're going to see some some wrestling with messaging, right? I'm I'm sure of that. No, well, I think it's more than messaging, John. Yeah. I think it. I, I think there are. I think there are a lot of people that are very active in politics now that have a view that we've been doing things the same old way for a very long time, and they want to radically change the country. I mean, you take a look at M. Adams and. Brandy Grayson and, you know, the movement that they, very effective movement they had in Madison, I don't think they're going away. Well, and I think that, that look, that's a good part of, of politics, right? People, people can raise issues and bring ideas into the debate. They win or lose politically, right? I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. I mean, you've got people on the right, people on the left, people who are pushing new ideas in. And, not, and some of those new ideas eventually take. Remember, um, you know, one of the things that that is happening now in Madison is a good thing, is to have uh, public safety services 
that actually get an ambulance to people's house or get a, a, a vehicle to people's houses that is mental health and, you know, social services and can actually dial down a lot of difficult situations. Uh, smart police officers around the country are for that. They don't. Oh, they I don't. agree. I'm not. Yeah. So, yeah all I'm saying is, saying is we, are, we are, as a country, wrestling with some fundamental issues. Uh, the question now, from a political standpoint, because we're talking about politics here, the question now is the Democratic Party, learn, can they learn how to talk about that and respond to that in ways that, that place them in a position of being seen as, as the responsible players, the people that can be trusted to hold power? I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm doubtful. Uh, well, I understand you're doubtful, <laughs> yeah. but I'll argue that in New Jersey, in a very tough cycle, Phil Murphy did that, and in Virginia, very tough cycle, Terry McAuliffe, failed to do that. Well, And if you analyze how these two candidates ran their races, what you're going to find is uh, McAuliffe was sort of sputtering and trying desperately to keep up with things, whereas Murphy was ahead of the curve. All right, uh, before we go, uh, there was an infrastructure vote. It passed. Um, but Rashida Tlaib, Elian Omar, uh, who else? Uh, AOC, yeah, they, did, they, didn't vote, they didn't vote for it. Here's, uh, here's Pocan. Uh, in the halls of Congress. Well, the whole day was a cluster, right? right. Um, but beyond that, right. uh, you know, we, I was just up there when we were going through all this a little while ago, you know, an hour ago or right. so. I, I thought everyone was working in a very congenial way. I mean, rank and file numbers figured out how to get done. All right. <laughs> um, oh, Cory Bush also voted against it. Uh, so why did Pocan vote it? Vote for it, but AOC didn't. Number of progressives, including Pramila Jayapal, uh, voted, who's head of the Progressive Caucus, voted for it. Uh, there are folks who've been negotiating with the White House in the room, uh, and they ultimately came to express a confidence that this White House ha is close enough to a deal on the $1.7 trillion, I'm sorry, whatever it ends up, but $1.7, $1.8 trillion uh, social infrastructure bill that they put their trust in the White House and in Democratic leadership to do it. You have a group of progressive, fellow progressives uh, who are frustrated by the, the you know, kind of long negotiations and the many uh, missteps and stumbles along the way who, who voted against. But I, the thing I'll tell you about politics is this. Keep an eye on, on what Pelosi knew in this situation. Nancy Pelosi knew that she could lose a certain number of Democrats who wanted to make a point, uh, who wanted to express their frustration. Uh, and it would still function because she knew that she had a uh, basically a substantial part of the New York Republican delegation on her side. And it, that, in fact, turned out to be the case. Uh, and so you ended up in a situation where you get down to like kind of old-school politics. If you'd been in this place where the Democrats were, you know, like, where one vote, two votes might make the difference, whether it rises or falls. Uh, I think you would have seen Pelosi working uh, harder on that that group of progressives that voted against. Well, I, it's just a little disappointing. If if I worked in you know if I worked in a infrastructure project in one of their districts, I'd have to say, why did you take this out on you know on this bill that is the one thing that we can all do together? Yeah, and and but you know the answer to that, right? Oh, I know their answer. Well, you know, the answer is Joe Manchin and these people who 
agreed to do it in a certain way, right, that would have had the infrastructure built and a, a bigger, bolder uh, social infrastructure built, which gives, you know, like vision, dental, and hearing for the elderly gives care, provides caregiving for people with disabilities, right? I mean, stuff we really Yeah, I never liked the idea of these two bills being tied together. Yeah. But they did end up tied together. Yeah, I, but I don't like that. I think it's I think it's damage. I think it took away from the infrastructure bill. I think it, you know, I don't think Biden's getting as big a bang out of uh, that's a huge accomplishment. It is a huge accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, I, I accept that. But the fact is, this is what they all agreed on, right? They agreed on a way to govern, and then you had the centrist, the corporate centrist. The corporate yeah. Well, they come in and say, well, we're not going to do it that way. You, you know, here's what I, I, I don't like, Mansion or Cinema. I think they're bad players. I, but, I, I, but I have to tell you, I think all of them that run to the cameras and, and have these fights in public, uh, I understand giving your point of view, but uh, I, I th there's a lot of game playing going on that I don't like. Well, I think, look, it, it, and you know what? This, this is the way to bring this whole conversation perhaps full circle here. Um, the fact that that game playing by, you know, the, the fact that, that they couldn't get this thing together uh, before the election, and then suddenly they have this sense of urgency and they actually pull stuff off after the election, tells you everything you need to know about the Democratic Party and what happened on November 2nd. Uh, it, it, what, Joe Biden was elected because after 36 years in the Senate, eight years as vice president, he's supposed to be competent, right? He's supposed to know how to do things. I have rarely in my life seen an act of political incompetence so great as announcing on the Thursday before off-year elections where you know your party is struggling that you've got a framework to pass an infrastructure bill and a social infrastructure bill. You've got the framework, right? And that's supposed to translate as you got it all together. Then you get on a plane to fly over Europe, to Europe to meet with the Pope and do climate talks, which I think is great, by the way. Meet with the Pope, do the climate talks. That's fantastic. But you fly over there and... You don't have the framework. The deal isn't there. I mean, it, it, there could not have been a worse message. Literally could not have been no, a I, worse message. I, uh, I share your frustration. John Nichols from the Capital Times and The Nation. Thanks for coming on Sly's Office. Sly'sOffice.com. Thanks a million. Bye-bye.